You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. We have tried very intentionally over the last couple of weeks to put in front of you ministries, not only that are a part of our church, like the homeless ministry and truth in nature, but we're trying also to put in front of you our partners, because what we don't want to do is stand up and say, here's the need we have, and then never show it to you. And so um, if you're used to being here every week and you feel like, man, they're taking a lot of stage time recently to talk to people. That's right. Um, because we, we want you to know what it is that God's doing in and through uh, King's Cross. Okay, um, if you have a Bible, grab it, um, open it up to James. I'll say again, for the benefit of the people who might be listening on the podcast, my name's Chip, um, and I'm one of the pastors here. We have been studying this book of James together over the summer. Um, I am super thankful for Josh and Rogers and Andy who have preached with me through this book. Um, There are a a couple of reasons that we do that. One is we just think it's important for you to hear from other people. Um, Candidly, sometimes I just need a break. Uh, I I need to have some weeks where I can get some stuff done other than uh, sermon prep, but mainly because we believe that the way we are fed is by the Word of God, not any one pastor. Amen? Amen. And so uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for those brothers for, for helping me get through uh, the book of James together this summer. I'm also thankful for everybody who was here last week uh, who stepped up. If you're not aware, uh, I was preaching over at our Sending Church, the church at Life Park last week. Josh woke up on Sunday morning to find out there were COVID-positive cases in his house. Megan and JB were away with the middle schoolers at camp, and Kristen was sick at home. So five of our seven staff members were out of the building, and some of you had no idea that that was the case. And that's exactly what we want. For us to be able to have basically the entire staff not here on a Sunday morning and everything just keeps rolling smoothly. And in fact, what I hear is, hey, that's one of the best baptisms we've ever had. And that's one of the best worship sets we've ever had. I just praise God for that. And so thank you for volunteering and for leading and for stepping up um, so that Sundays like last Sunday um, can happen. As we wrap up James, we're in chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 7, James 5, verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. If you haven't been here, let me just remind you, James is writing to Christians. It's about a decade or so after the resurrection. They've geographically scattered away from Jerusalem, and what they figured out is that being a Christian is kind of harder than they thought it was going to be. Not everybody's thrilled with their faith. Not everybody's thrilled with the way that they're trying to live. The economy is tanking. There's a lot of stress. Um, It's creating divisions in the church, and conflict and class divides are becoming the norm. And into that context, James um, is writing as a pastor with practical guidance on everyday issues. It's one of the reasons why people love the book of James so much. So he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, which is where he began the letter, right? If you go back all the way back to James 1, 3, that idea of how it is that you live out your faith when life gets hard, it is undergirds everything in James. And so he's bookending it. He, he began there, and here at the conclusion of the letter, he's coming back to it again. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We'll pause there. James knows that being a Christian does not exempt you from struggle. It doesn't exempt you from suffering. If you're not a Christian, please understand that the promise of the gospel in God is not that if you have faith in Jesus, it will exempt you from pain or from trials, or from suffering, or from conflict. You don't get inoculated from suffering if you profess faith in Christ. That is not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that God will be with you in it. Now, there is a promise of the elimination of pain and suffering and trials and tears, but that's in the next life, in eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth that Christ will establish when he returns to make all things new again. So don't confuse eternal promises with present ones. The present promise is that the presence of God will be with you in these seasons. And James is a pastor. He knows that learning to suffer well is a critical part of the Christian life. It was in the first decade after Jesus' resurrection, and it is today. So the question in your life is not, how can I live a life free from suffering? That's not going to happen. So you got to let go of that. The question in your life is, how can I suffer well? That's the question that we have to find an answer to. And actually, if you were to read through the entirety of the Scripture, what you would see is that that question is answered over and over and over again. The Bible has a robust theology of suffering. But here, in the last part of the letter of James, there are two main principles that he gives us that are part of that larger theology of suffering. The first one is this. You have to suffer with patience. To suffer with patience. Verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, <laughs> that's a hard thing to say to somebody who's going through it. Yes? Well, you just have to be patient. Wait for the Lord. Like, sir, I will fight you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's your advice to me is be patient. Yeah, sometimes, yes, 
All we can do is be patient. There's no way around it. And James says, don't you see the farmers have to be patient? God can make things grow, but they have to wait on the rain. They have to wait for the harvest. And he says, do you not know your scriptures? Do you not know that the prophets suffered with patience? Don't you remember Job, perhaps the greatest example of anyone who has suffered with patience? So yes, the people of God, people that God has used in miraculous ways, people that you and I look to as examples of the faith, as heroes in our faith, they suffer. They suffer with patience. And to us, their suffering takes place over a paragraph or a page or a chapter. But for them, it was weeks and months and sometimes years and decades of suffering. And to us, it's the turning of a page. And for them, it was long seasons of crying out, How long? Like, why? Why don't you end this? And we, and we skim over it in the Scriptures and we say, what an example. But they had to learn to suffer with patience because very often the answer they got as they cried out to God again and again and again was be patient. Just be patient. And very often the answer that we get is be patient. I'm working Athletes grow their physical strength and endurance by pushing their bodies harder and farther than they ever have before. Musicians learn how to master their instruments by practicing over and over and over again for years, patiently waiting to get to a point where they can play what they want to play. Teachers and surgeons and electricians, they have to learn over time and be mentored and make mistakes and grow in their skills and their craft before they get to a place where they are considered masters of what it is that they do. And suffering is used by God to do that to your faith. Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will not put us to shame, because God's love for us has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not God punishing you. God is not the cause of your suffering, but He can use it. He can redeem it. He won't waste it in your life. He will use it to grow your faith. And don't miss how practical James gets with this. So this is not like um, trite Christianese. Well, just be patient. You know, your strength will grow as you wait on. That James is hyper practical. So here's the how. He gives here's how you're going to suffer with patience. First, he says you suffer with patience by being expectant. You have to be expectant. In verse eight, he says, like the farmer who waits for the rain. 
because it takes time. He's expecting it to come. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart now by looking ahead to the coming of the Lord that is to come. So friends, hear me, there is a day coming when your suffering will end. And it might be today by God's grace. It might be next month. It might be next year. It might be that your end of your suffering doesn't come until he returns or calls you home. But there is a day coming when the suffering will be no more. So be expectant. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I want the suffering to end now. Get over with now. I don't need to learn anymore. I got it. How many times are you going to teach me this lesson? So what James is after is a posture of the heart that says you got to look at it this way. Be expectant. So think about like the reservation that you have for your anniversary. Maybe it's at Halls or Husk or Peninsula Grill or somewhere, right? And, and you make it like six months in advance or you can't get a reservation. And so you, like, you're waiting for that patiently because you're expectant for it. Just me? Nobody likes to eat? <laughs> Train them early, Jonathan, to respond. They're just, Charles is not a real active, you know. <laughs> you got to think, think about how you wait for like, a baby or a grandbaby to be born, right? Expectantly, the Amazon package that's coming, right? Expectantly, yes? Now, think about like how eager you are to see Kentucky overtake Georgia to win the SEC East. These are glorious things, yeah? And if your heart, like you look forward to those things, you have to wait for them with patience. You want it, you want it now, but you have to wait. And when your heart is expectant, it changes the posture of the waiting. And you learn to wait with patience. There almost becomes a sweetness and an energy and an excitement to the waiting because you so look forward to what's coming. And James says, don't you see you have to establish your heart that way for the coming of the Lord? And it'll change the way you're patient now. Even if you want something to be over, even if you want something to change, it'll change the way you endure and the way you wait and the way you suffer now. Because of that expectant disposition of your heart, it becomes fuel for patience. And then he says, second, don't turn on one another. Be expectant. Look forward to the coming of the Lord. But don't turn on one another in the meantime. Verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another. Isn't this what we do? You enter into some season of suffering. And like for whatever reason and to whatever degree it's happening in your life, but it's going on longer than you thought it would or maybe longer than you think it should. And so you grow weary. And, and maybe you even start to get bitter and angry towards God because He seems far off to you. And so you lash out at the people who are close to you. Often, the people who are closest to you. James just said this exact same thing in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? 
And this is what happens. Suffering does this to us. It creates these emotions in us that if they go unchecked, will eventually spill out onto the people around us. Because hurting people hurt people, don't they? And that includes us, unfortunately. And it's not because you want to hurt people. You don't, it, you're not a bad person. It's just that your patience lasted for a while and then you got a little spiritually thin and you're emotionally exhausted. And next thing you know, you've turned on the people around you, people that you love the most. And James says, don't do that. Don't grumble at one another. Don't turn on each other. And sometimes you just have to recognize that that's happening or you have to be receptive to the people around you who are pointing it out and saying, hey, sister, I don't know what's going on, but I just got to tell you, like, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you can hear the tone in your voice. You just have to be receptive to that and resolve to fight against it. And James is going to give us a little more on how to do that. But for now, it's important to just recognize the behavior and fight this urge in prolonged seasons of suffering to turn on the people who are closest to you. The counter to that tendency, James says, is to be steadfast. It's just the opposite of it. So this disposition of the heart that's expectant for what it is that God's about to do, and you resist the urge to turn on the people who are close to you, and you remain steadfast. Verse 12 can sometimes seem out of place to people because all of a sudden James starts talking about oaths, and it's like, what? Like, what oaths? Like, James, ADD's got squirrel run across the manuscript page. Like, what is he, what are you talking about? But what he's after there is this practice in his day to try and bargain with God. And so what people would do is they would swear an oath on heaven or on the earth. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 5. He said that people would swear on Jerusalem or sometimes even their own head. So what we do is... We say, God, if you will end this, if you will take this away, if you will make my life easier, then I swear on, on my mother's grave, on the lives of my children, on my house, on my job, I, I, if you'll do that, I'll do this. Or if you'll take this, I'll never do that again. And James says, stop trying to bargain away your suffering. You have faith in God, let that yes be yes. And understand with patience that that season isn't over yet. And sometimes what happens is that people think that if God would just take away this pain point in their life, then it will prove He's real. It will prove He cares. It will prove that He sees you. Okay. What do you do when the cancer comes back? What, what do you do when your child rebels again? Or when your spouse cheats? Or when the market dips? What then? Did God change? So he's less real? He's less trustworthy? Because your circumstances changed? Understand that if that is the posture of your heart, if your life experiences are the litmus test for the existence of God, 
That makes you the literal center of the universe. Because you determine the reality of all things across all time. And that's a dangerous place to be in your heart. So our challenge is not to test God by measuring the circumstances of our life, but to remain steadfast in our faith no matter how they change. Or to remain steadfast in our faith even if they don't change. Our challenge is to learn to suffer well by learning to suffer with patience. But here's the key. You can't do that alone. Or you won't do it alone for very long. And James knows that. So the second principle he gives us for how to suffer well is to suffer in community. In community. Look back at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? So he moves from you in verses 7 to 12 to you all in verses 13 to 20. He moves from suffering to suffering in community. So we live in this world that is constantly pushing us farther and farther and farther into isolation. So, and it's, and it's little ways that creep up on things like, you understand that your music and your TV and your entertainment, it's all customized now perfectly to your preferences. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but it took away kind of these um, shared cultural experiences that a generation before had. Because now you've lost some common talking points on even things like, what did you watch last night? More and more people work and study remotely. A lot of what we buy is purchased online. Or if we go to the store, maybe you're like me, I just always choose self-checkout, unless I got a full cart. It's because... Like it's just one less interaction. One of the challenges that we've seen coming out of COVID is a lot of people's spiritual habits changed, and now they consume church at home alone. Technology isn't bad in and of itself, but you have to recognize that we are living in a time with, where we are increasingly detached from other people. And so that means we have to be much more intentional about cultivating community for ourselves and for our families. Hear me, it is not God's will for your life that you would have a relationship with Him, but not each other. It is not God's will for your life that you would have a relationship with Him, but not each other. If you are a Christian, then when God called you to himself, he also called you to the community of the church. And if you're not a Christian, and I know in a, even in a room this size, not everyone here is a believer yet. Praise God, we're glad that you're here. It's a great place for you to explore the claims of Christ and of the Bible and of the church. We're glad that you're here, but understand that when you make a decision to follow Christ, you are also making a decision to be in community with his people. It's the way that he designed it to be. And one aspect of that community is that we walk through seasons of suffering in our lives together. 
2 Corinthians 1.4 says that God comforts us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Romans 12.15 commands Christians to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So hear me. <laughs> if you're in a season of suffering right now, if you don't hear anything else, hear me say that you are not alone. You don't have to go through it alone. God has designed a community of people that he intends to use to get you through that season. He may not take away the source of your suffering. He may not even shorten the season of your suffering. But he has provided a community that he called the church through which you can be supported and prayed for and cared for and loved on and walked with during it. And if by God's grace you are someone who's not in a season of suffering, praise God for that. But understand that if you're a Christian, then you are a part of the church. You're part of the mechanism that God intends you to support and care for and love on and walk with people who are. So either you're in a season where you need people to do those things for you, or you're in a season that God expects you to be doing them from other people. His intention is not that you're off somewhere in isolation, that you come in here and watch me like it's a TV show and then leave. There's a community of faith that God has built. And for those things to happen, for you to care for one another and love one another and carry out the one another's of the New Testament, you got to be here. Not, Jonathan said, pre-COVID, 11% of people went to church once a month. It's less now. Once, look, man, you can't establish relationships once a month. you got to know people. People have to know you. You have to be a part of a community. Because there's going to come a season when you need those people. And they might be in a season right now where they need you. And so you might, sometimes you come to church and you might leave and think, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, maybe that morning wasn't for you. Maybe the conversation you had in the lobby helped somebody in ways you didn't understand. Maybe just hearing you sing encouraged somebody's heart because that morning they were so heavy they couldn't. You don't know the way that God might have used you on any individual Sunday morning. Now, sometimes it's about you. Sometimes it may not be. And James paints this picture of what it looks like to suffer in community. Pick back up verse 13. He's going to show us what it looks like to suffer in community. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So first, James says, when you're suffering, press into God. Press into God. He says, you're suffering, pray to God. Things going really well for you, praise God. Good or bad, lean into Him. Paul says in Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Good or bad, I learned 
Paul said, how to do these things. Mature faith presses into God when things go sideways. You press in when things, like, I don't, I'm not impressed by the strength of your marriage because you had a blast on your honeymoon in Fiji. Well, congratulations. Talk to me after you've endured the death of a child. Talk to me after one of the spouses overcame addiction. Now I'll hear about the strength of your marriage when you've been through some stuff. You had had a great time the first week at your new job? Okay. (laughs) It's the first week. Talk to me when you miss your fourth quarter sales quota. Talk to me after you have to sit down at a table with person after person after person who's being laid off. Now let me know how your job's going. Mature faith presses in. Anybody can have faith and rejoice and praise God when things are great. And that's good. Praise God for that. James says that. If things are going good, praise. But mature faith presses in. And I'll tell you that nobody does this perfectly. I have struggled with this. There have been some days over the last almost six years now when I did not press into God. There have been some days at King's Cross when my heart ran to fear and my heart ran to anger and to self-reliance. But by God's grace, I think they were the exception, not the rule. So nobody's going to do this perfectly. But if you're going to learn to suffer well, you have to learn to suffer in community. And part of that is to learn to press into God even if it feels like he's not there or he doesn't care or he isn't acting, that's called faith. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that's faith. So we learn to, to press in, and James says, second, you have to press into one another too. You press into him, you press into one another. Listen to how... Verses 14 to 16 place suffering in the context of community, specifically the community of faith, the church. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The way that Christians respond in seasons of suffering is they press into each other. They pray for one another. Confess sin to one another. Why? Well, because the reality is that a lot of our suffering is a cause of our own sin. And and sometimes you need somebody to help point that out to you so you can change what you're doing. It's causing so much pain in your life. And so he says we pray for one another, but we confess sin to one another too. What we don't do is isolate ourselves and then come back to church when things are all happy and cheery. And we can say, you know, that we're doing better than we deserve again. And we just kind of put on this Mount Perfect East Cooper fake facade of perfection and some like Christian excellence again. (laughs) 
That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that you go away and clean your life up and then you come to God and he accepts you. Why would you have to go away and get your life cleaned up to have the church accept you? No, no, we we press into one another. Yes, when times are good, praise God. But also in seasons of suffering because we need each other. Brothers and sisters, when my faith is weak, I need you. And when yours is faltering, you need me to prop you up. That's why the church is likened in the scriptures to a body and a house and a temple. Because God intends for the parts to be interconnected and to work well with one another. And I love the way James balances it. Because notice that James does not say, if you have enough faith, your suffering will end. What he says is, you let other people pray and their faith can help you be healed. It's a call into community. He says, you go let the elders pray, and their prayer of faith can be effective in your life. But do you notice also, he doesn't like set the elders apart as some kind of like varsity level Christians, because he says in verse 16, pray for one another. Pray for one another. And then he says in verses 17 and 18, hey, don't you remember Elijah? Elijah was like an ordinary dude. But he believed in the power of prayer. And he believed in using his faith for the benefit of the community that he was in. Look at verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah's pressing into God allowed others to benefit from pressing into him. He's using Elijah as an example here, just like he used Job as an example of suffering with patience in 7 through 12. So these are just ordinary people, man, like you. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that you need the church Do you believe that you need people? That you need their prayers? That sometimes you need their faith? And do you understand that sometimes they need you? And they need your faith? Do you take seriously that responsibility to come alongside people in seasons of suffering? And... Maybe most importantly, does your participation in the church reflect that? Can I see that? Because you can see the relationships in the community that you're in. Because again, you can't press into one another if you're not here, if you're not actively involved in people's life, and they're not actively involved in yours. So faith, especially in seasons of suffering, is both vertical and horizontal. We press into God and we press into others. And watch this little tag on the end of the letter in verses 19 and 20. James says, if somebody's not doing that, you love them enough to go after them. Last aspect of what it looks like to suffer in community is to pursue the hurting. Pursue the hurting. Verse 19, my brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
You see how this works? That God has created this dynamic community, this faith family, so that in seasons of suffering we might support and care for and if necessary pursue one another. Because the church can't always be a pep rally for Jesus. That's not real life. Real life involves pain and disappointment and grief and loss and suffering. But thanks be to God that Jesus said, I will build my church. And Ephesians says that he loved the church and gave himself up for her. And Acts 20 says that he obtained the church with his own blood. Friends, if God so esteemed the church that he deemed it worthy of Christ's blood, if Christ so valued the church that he saw that he would promise to build her, no matter what happens, should not you and I too? Should we not also esteem and value the church? Should we not see her as the resource that God has intended us to be until such time as he returns or calls us home? Can you imagine what it might look like if everyone who calls King's Cross home took this to heart and began to earnestly pursue it? What might it look like if you and I pursued the hurting and just refused to disengage in love? What might it look like if you and I learned to press into the Lord even if we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death? What might it look like if everyone who calls this place home genuinely pressed into one another in good times and in bad? How might that absolutely transform our individual ability to suffer with patience? What kind of testimony would our church become to the community that God's placed us in? How compelling a demonstration of the gospel would it be to lost people who are close to us but far from God if they looked through the window of the church and saw that? Suffering exists because sin exists and because we live in a fallen world. But Christ died in our place for our sins so that he might redeem and restore that brokenness. So yes, In this life, in this world, we will have suffering. But he's overcome the world, amen? He's promised that one day he'll make it new again. Between this day and that one, let's ask God for his grace that we might learn to suffer well. Let's pray. Father, there are people in the room for whom the last few minutes have been hard. I pray your grace would be with them. We can't avoid suffering. We know that even this morning there are people who are a part of our faith family who are hurting. We ask for your grace. We ask that they might cultivate patience that the community of the church might surround them with love and care, encouragement. And we know that there are some of us who can look into our past, maybe even the recent past, and we could give a testimony of your faithfulness that brought us through a season of suffering that by your grace has ended.
We praise your name because of that. It's one of the reasons that we sing. We have confidence because we have seen you work and seen you act. Would you help us to be a church that rejoices in the triumph of the empty tomb, but understands the need for the cross? That we might be a people who learn to suffer well, that we might be a testimony to your grace in seasons of abounding. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.